leadership team likes to give Bill a break from the pulpit, even though um, he enjoys preaching. He, he loves it. God has called him to do that. But uh, sometimes it's nice to have a rest. And with everything going on with his family, um, this would be a good time. Uh, if you would, we're going to cover a passage in Joshua. If you don't have a Bible, it's on page 150. I don't have a PowerPoint like, like Bill. It's Joshua 4, and I'm going to be reading from that in just, just a moment. And we'll be talking about that some. I'm going to be reading the first three verses and then hopping around a little bit. When all the nation, nations had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Verse 6. When the children ask you in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them about the waters of the Jordan, how they were cut off in the Ark of the Covenant by the Lord. When they passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones will be to the people of Israel, memorial forever. Verse 21. And he said to Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let the children know Israel passed over the Jordan. The last verse, that the Lord is mighty and that we may always fear him forever. Would you join us in prayer? Father, we come before you this morning and we just adore you, Lord. We uh, uh, ask that everything said here this morning might just be a blessing to you and that you would be lifted up because of our praise and worship this morning. And Father, we, we confess that we, you haven't been as much of part of our lives as you deserve. And we confess as individuals and as family, as a church, that we've fallen short. We've crossed the line and we ask that you forgive us today. And Father, we come with thankful hearts today. We thank you for each child that just carried a rock in. We thank you for the families represented here. We thank you for the gifts and talents that are so wonderfully displayed in our church. And Father, we submit anew that this might be a new beginning this day for us, that we would follow you completely and totally, that we would be mindful of your presence in our life and that our life would be more meaningful to your glory. To the end, that Jesus might be glorified. Amen. Well, you're probably wondering why on earth are we up here. <laughs> We're wondering too. Um, but um, since Bill's been talking about families, he asked if um, we might share with you. And um, so we come with a couple of disclaimers. Um, we don't have it all together. We didn't raise perfect kids. We weren't perfect parents. Um, and we have asked um, our children that are now grown 
for the leniency to share what God's done in their lives. And um, some of the things, lessons we learned along the way, some of them were difficult. Uh, some of them came a little bit easier. Um, I guess those of you gals that have been in Bible study with me know that came from a pretty dysfunctional home. Didn't want children when we got married. And um, God blessed us with four kids. Andrea, Becky, Chad, and Duke, and I'm only telling you that so when you know the stories, you know the birth order. Um, and uh, they all have wonderful spouses, and we have 11, going to be 12 grandkids in January. Um, so besides that, we also had 13 foster kids. So if you don't think God's got a sense of humor, um, to take someone who didn't want children and just... Um, stretch out the walls of our house at times. It's been an awesome journey. So um, we hope you just enjoy our stories this morning, and hopefully God will use them to teach you something. And college kids and young people, um, I know this probably doesn't pertain to you right now, but I can remember sitting where you are and thinking, I didn't want to get married, didn't want to get have kids, because I didn't want to repeat. And uh, you hold the course of your family life in your hands. You can change history. And so that's my challenge to you this morning. If you're not married, don't have kids, that you can do it all differently. And you might say, well, I'm in college. That's a long ways away. Well, we had three kids go to Greenville College. Two of them met their sweethearts and had babies fairly quick. <laughs> Be aware, I've seen some of you all connecting. And you say, listen, I don't, I, I don't know that I can understand this because we fail miserably. We have teenagers that are wayward. You don't know the family I came from. And you might think this doesn't apply. But, but all of us can better ourselves. All of us have children that we can impact. And I ask that you would consider that as, as we share some of these stories. I love being back in blast with your kids. You know, some of them are real talkative. And we have a couple that don't talk at all, and I just adore them. introduce the kids? I did Okay. Um, but, you know, when, when you have those kids that don't talk, or you have those kids that talk all the time, uh, talk time can become really difficult. Um, and one of the things I had to learn early on is that if I asked a question to that kid that didn't talk a lot, it could never be a yes, no question. If I said, how was your day at school? I got fine. That's really hard to get a dialogue going when you have those kind of things. So one of the things we learned was that you always asked a question that was more difficult to answer, such as, what is your teacher like to teach on best? Or what does she hang on the wall for the holidays? Or what did your best friend do over the weekend? So it was things that they had to engage in. And uh, that was hard for me because for those of you that don't know me real well, I'm not a big talker. So uh, it was difficult um, to constantly engage them in conversation, but we felt that that was a real priority just to be in their world. One of the things we tried to do is uh, continue telling them stories. I, I can just imagine what it was like in, in Joshua's time 
maybe 60 years after they crossed the Jordan, someone coming up to a person, maybe perhaps my age, and saying, Papa, why are all those rocks out there in the front yard? And I can see him saying, well, you remember we talked about Abraham, and he had a bunch of sons and grandsons and so on, and he had a, had a person born by the name of Jacob, who, whose name became Israel. And he, he had 12 sons, and they became 12 family groups, and they became 12 tribes, and they were in Egypt under bondage. And Moses, God raised him up, and they marched out of Egypt, and they wandered in a desert for 40 years. And all of those people who left Egypt, all of them died except for two. And we just crossed the Jordan. And that was not just a small thing. And I believe it's in Chronicles, it said there was 136,790 adults that crossed the Jordan. Jordan is a big river, and it was in a flood season. They not only crossed individually, but they carried their gear, their wagons, their sheep, their cattle. And we put these rocks here because it was dry land. And I remember that. I was only six years old when I crossed, if you can imagine what that may have been like. So we tried to tell stories with the kids, and we developed, we tried to have devotions at night. Now, that can be kind of cumbersome at times, because i got to go to the bathroom. I need a drink, huh? you know. And... And sometimes we read from, um, what was it called? Little Talks with God. Little Talks with God. And sometimes it was relevant, and sometimes we just had to make up stories. Maybe about the neighborhood who, kid who took our wagon or something. But we thought it was important to have devotions every night. Sometimes they didn't understand it. And we, and we said, we asked them always to say a prayer. And sometimes our prayer was, Thank you for the chocolate ice cream. And so, uh, but it's important to develop a pattern if you have young children or plan to have children. And some of our college kids are in a family group talking about love languages, which is a great book if you haven't read it. But one of the love languages is quality time. And uh, we found out early on there's a difference between quantity and quality. But uh, Steve's going to tell a story first of quality time, and then I'll do one on quantity time. Well, quality time was when we went on trips, we didn't uh, have the TV on or the, the video. Um, and if I was going to the hardware store... We didn't store, have video in the car back then. <laughs> <laughs> we were forced to tell stories. I was just talking to the, the hours. I headed to Pennsylvania, and I said, you're going to have lots of talk time. So there's something about the quality of talk time uh, to have their attention, even if they're very, very young or very, very old, to make sure that we have eye contact and make it a priority each day, if possible, to have that quality time with our kids, as well as, obviously, with our spouse and with our Lord. I'm going to piggyback on the quality time. Another thing that our kids thought we were just horrible for was we didn't allow the TV on during dinner time. And uh, it's very interesting because of our four kids, only one has cable, one has no television, and two just have the regular channels and it's not a big deal in their house. And yet when we were doing that as parents, they thought we were probably from the Stone Age. So, um, you know. One of the kids actually thanked us for not allowing them to watch TV. The very one that I thought I was going to strangle. <laughs> You never know. 
God's sovereign. Quantity time took on a whole new meaning for me. Um, our second born is Becky. And uh, when Becky was just going into junior high, she was in a, an accident in a skating rink and a lady fell on her leg and uh, busted the femur like a chicken bone. They actually used the x-rays around medical schools, we were told. Um, and Becky was that kid that I usually locked horns with. Um, as I'm older, I realize it's because we're so much alike. But when she was growing up, uh, she could wrap Steve around her little finger. And uh, I really struggled connecting with Becky. And God, in his wisdom, gave us six weeks in the hospital together, 24-7 just about. Um, she was in traction, and it was pretty painful and um, quite an ordeal for her as a young girl. And then we had three months at home with her in a hospital bed in our living room. And so we began to connect through card games and reading and just about everything imaginable that we could do. And so, you know, I'm just here to praise God that he gave us that quantity of time at a very difficult time in her life. And it just opened up a whole door of a relationship for her and I. And so sometimes we just have to take advantage of that time that God gives us and make the most of it. You might say, you don't know my schedule. The coach wants our time. The PTA wants our time. Got to have homework. Quality time with your kids. Please move it to the top of the list. Speak spiritually to them as, as best you can. One um, meaningful application. Uh, you never know when God may use an event. We're not going to tell you about all of our failures. If you know us very well, you've seen plenty of them. But... Uh, it was about this time of the year. Kids were pretty young. I'm, I'm thinking seven, eight. And um, decided for the holidays, we didn't want to do Halloween and a scary thing. So we decided to make, uh, I made a, a scarecrow. And so I got some old jeans and flannel shirt and we made a scarecrow. And, and they were so impressed with it, they, they gave it a name and set him on a front porch in a chair. And it was, it was a fun time. We were gone for the weekend, all of us. I think we went on a retreat somewhere. We came back, and the pumpkin on the porch and the scarecrow were found in the middle of the street. The scarecrow was torn apart, stuffed in the pumpkin, and set afire. The, kid, the kids were crushed uh, because they had invested time in it. Uh, I was too. But we, we found it to be a teachable moment because we said we need to figure out who did this and we need to confront them and then we need to forgive them if we have the opportunity. So it took a lot of courage, but we walked on the street, had a pretty good idea who did it, and we did confront them. And then we had to put it behind us and forgive them for that. Where there's a footnote to the story, uh, in the Bible study that Linda's a part of, there's a lady in there who married... Um, one of the young men who stuffed the pumpkin and set it afire. And I saw him at the marriage conference that uh, Jen Cordy oversaw. And I told him about the story, and he says, I don't even remember that. And I said, well, I had a chuckle about it. He came back the next day, and he said, would you forgive me? I didn't know that I did that. I'm so sorry. And I said, it's long past. 
but I saw how God used that event to, to grow us all in a little bit of a spiritual way. I never knew at the time that any of that would be meaningful, but God in his sovereignty has a way of doing that. For those of you who are parents of younger kids, one of the benefits you have right now is you get to pick your kids' friends. And that was just one of the neatest things for us is um, trying to decide which friends would enhance our kids' lives the most. And uh, it's really comical, uh, God's providence, whatever. I really wanted to show a slide this morning, but you know how it is with family slides. They can get real boring real quick, so we decided not to do that. But we have this great slide of four girls sitting on a um, fence. fence. Thank you. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Fence um, down at Silver Dollar City. And uh, Andrea and Terry, Terry often leads worship, um, are on this fence and they're showing off their um, garter. garter from the. We do really well at this, don't we? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, garter from the um, store and show that we went to but you know what is so neat is and Andrea and Becky will testify to this they, they went their own way for a time and now they've been drawn back by God's providence and they're you know we got to share a concert with them Friday night and pick your kids friends wisely it makes a huge impact on their lives and I'd also add, pick their coaches, and if you're able, pick their teachers, because that is a big influence on who they're going to become as they're older. As they get older, it gets more difficult to pick their friends, but when they're young, we have that influence. I wouldn't let our children just spend the night at any slumber party or, or so on. There's just, there's just too many influences that may not be wholesome. One of the things that... Um, I felt most responsible as, as, um, as the man of the house was to teach our kids uh, spiritual discernment, to work with them on memory verses, the, to teach them uh, God's laws and his principles, and to, uh, to build uh, even doctrine into their lives. And that didn't always work real well. <laughs> we began to lock horns as the kids got older. But as, as Pastor Bill had mentioned, I think it was last week in one of the sermons, that if you don't teach them anything, the world's going to teach them something. They're just going to flip-flop. Duke, in particular, we locked horns on doctrine. When he went to Greenville, he said, I no longer have my dad's point of view, but I have my own. And it's interesting, in sharing with, with Bill recently, he had heard that story from Duke. They were friends long before uh, I knew Bill. So when he went to school, when he went to Greenville, he had something to accept or reject. It wasn't just flopping in the wind. So there's nothing wrong with impressing upon your children scripture, doctrine, memory verses, and so on. The next um, story uh, is really interesting because um, Becky called me uh, about a month or two ago and she goes, Mom, you should have wrote a book. And I go, what? 
And she goes, you should have wrote a book. And I said, why are you telling me this? And she said, well, I'm listening to the radio, and there's this guy on this radio that's talking, and he's written this book on how to have a pro profound influence on your kids. And she says, and you're not going to believe what he said. And I said, okay. And she said, do you remember when Andrea wanted Adidas tennis shoes? I go, yeah. Steve and I decided that with all the kids, we couldn't afford Adidas tennis shoes. So we told Andrea, we normally spend 20 bucks on tennis shoes. You can have the 20 bucks. If you want the Adidas, you have to put in the rest yourself. And so Becky goes on to tell me this story, how this guy's just written this profound book, and this was one of the main emphasis of the book. And so we had a good chuckle over it, but it brought back to mind that, you know, um, just because we're able to give our kids everything, it's not necessarily the best thing in the world for them. And uh, you can chat with Andrea after church. I don't know if it had any profound influence on her life. She still wears shoes, so I guess we did all right. You know, you always worry about your kids winding up on some psychiatrist's couch and going back, oh, I couldn't have Adidas tennis shoes when I was 12, you know. You just never know. But uh, we had a good chuckle over it, and uh, but just thought, you know, that's, that's so key. And it's key for us, too. Because just because we can doesn't mean that it's right. Another thing that we, uh, we worked hard at was church time. If you lived in our house, you went to church. There was no option. Were they alert? Did they pay attention? Sometimes. You want to tell them how you engaged them sometimes? Sure. We went to a, a pretty, um, I guess, orthodox church type setting where there was pews and all that. And uh, first of all, Steve and I didn't take a new seat when we came to this church. We always sat in the second or third row because we found out that if the kids are closer to the front, they act up less. So we went with that. Um, the other thing I did is I always took paper and pencil along, and as the pastor would put up the verse, I would tell them, okay, open your Bible and answer these three questions from that verse. And so we always had a dialogue then going on through the sermon. I probably got 60% of it out of it what the pastor was saying, but we felt like our kids were engaged and they weren't resenting sitting there. Sometimes church attendance, particularly in this generation, and maybe I'm preaching a little bit here, but we don't insist on going to church. We wouldn't think of missing a soccer game sometimes or a softball game or a, a PTA uh, gathering or a, a choral, or we wouldn't miss work, but sometimes it's easy just to say, I think I'm going to roll over. Such and such has got a sniffles. But do they learn all the time in church? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. But it develops a pattern. It develops a pattern and a lifestyle. When they get older, they may depart from it. Um, but maybe not. I would be more inclined to think that it would become more of part of their life. So if you can, bring your children and yourself to church. Just to piggyback on that story, some of you guys have met Chad. He's uh, actually preached here, which just totally boggles our mind. Because Chad was one of those kids that sat um, 
in church, kind of like this, spread out in the pew as much as he could, just so you know, we would know that he was totally disinterested. And uh, when I tried to plug him into uh, contemporary Christian music, I was told that that had to be the worst music ever. And so the first year that I went down to Canicut camps after Chad had taken a, a position down there, I had the best laugh in the world. Do you know what plays 24-7 at Canicut camp? Every Christian song you can ever think of. And I said to Chad, is this not the worst music you ever heard? And we had a good laugh, but you know, maybe it absorbed into his being because at the time we had no clue that he was getting any of it. So. Like Steve said, just bring them and pray hard. Which brings me to the other thing that I wanted to share with you because we just learned it this last week or so. We were with our son, uh, Duke, in Indiana. Actually, we spoke at a college retreat. Can you imagine us old folks doing that? It was awesome. But um, Duke said to us, he said, you know, Mom and Dad, you never made us have a quiet time but we always saw you doing it. And he said, I'm not as regimented as some people are where, you know, at 9 a.m. I get up and I have my quiet time. He said, that's not my style. But he said, I always saw you and Dad with the word of God open, and so I knew it was important. So they probably get more from what they see than what we speak. Piggybacking on that, they'll watch us. Men, if we're going through... The, uh, the Sunday paper and we um, maybe we linger in the, the lingerie section our daughters will see that our women if you're reading these novels with this guy bare chested guy with curly hair you know you see him our children will see that Linda's quick to hit the remote and change the channel whenever Victoria's Secrets comes on the, the commercial but they watch us, they see what we do. They see what we do with it's negative and they see what is not. And they will model us if we um, have a good image, they'll model us if we don't have a good image. So a caution for all of us. We were in family group, um, I think it was actually the last time we were together and Greg Carl was talking from the book of Daniel. And uh, I just wanna, it was one of those moments where God hits you over the head with something and you share it and you're not sure anybody else was hit over the head with it. But um, it was Daniel and it was the eighth verse and it said, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official per, for permission not to defile himself in this way. And what hit me over the head was that Daniel resolved. He knew in his heart that it was wrong. And he purposed not to succumb to the temptation to do it. And I think when we talk about training up our kids, if we could teach them so that when that temptation came, they would know in their heart how to respond and would have the courage to do it, we would have arrived as parents. We have a lot of illustrations where we didn't arrive, but we have one that... Um, is so meaningful to me that I actually still have the ticket from the policeman in my uh, stuff that 
parents accumulate, you know. But um, Chad was um, up at um, State Stocker Tournament, I don't remember where it was, somewhere up by Chicago. And um, Steve really had doubts about him going. And the first year he took him, the second year we let him go with a group of guys. And we get this phone call and Chad says, Mom, I just got a ticket. I'm thinking, driving? What? He said, um, all of us got tickets because there was drinking. And I said, okay. The bathtub was full of beer is what I... <laughs> and he said, but Mom, on my ticket, the officer wrote that I had not had anything to drink and had been given a breathalyzer test. And I said, Chad, if everybody else was drinking, why didn't you? And he said, because of Grandpa. You see, my dad was an alcoholic. And I had shared those stones with our kids many times over. And so I said, okay, I appreciate that. We'll talk when you get home. And... Uh, the interesting part of this story, as it rains still true when I asked Chad if it was okay if I shared it, was the whole group of them were to go to six weeks of Saturday morning um, counseling at the police station for their tickets besides paying the fine. Of the 10 or 12 boys that were caught that day, everyone else hired a lawyer and got out of it. Chad and I sat through six weeks, Saturday mornings at the police station. And when I asked Chad about sharing this, he says, yeah, I still remember that guy going, are you still having problems with drinking? And he said, you know, it, it was funny at the time, but there's something to be said about letting your kids go through the consequences of making poor choices. And Chad made a poor choice because he was in the wrong place at the right, wrong time or the right time. Um, but, um, you know, first of all, I was so thankful to God that what we had taught had had an impression in his life. But then, as Chad and I went to these monthly, weekly meetings for six weeks, I think he realized how committed I was to him that this would never be an issue in his life. And to this day... Um, he still does, has never had a drink. So, you know, praise God for what he did in that life. There was a follow-up to that. He was, when he went to Greenville, he was, um, his senior year, he was captain of the basketball team. And I think, uh, does Greenville still have a code of conduct that you have to sign or a lifestyle statement or something like that? A couple of guys on, uh, on the team were caught drinking. They were to be expelled. The coach says, I don't think these are bad kids. Chad, what do you want to do? You're the captain. So he made them run. I don't know. It seemed like forever. <laughs> every morning, every night, they had to run. But what impressed me was Chad said, I'll run them with you. And although they, he had, the kids had done wrong, had an advocate that went with them through their sin and their problem, perhaps because he'd you know, been through uh, what Linda was describing. Problem solving. Uh, we tried to have dinner together every night. 
I know how mobile you all are, and that's probably doesn't always happen. But problem solving, uh, a couple things that seemed to work for us. Whenever somebody had a gripe or was angry, they got to vent themselves completely and totally as long as it took. The rest of us were not allowed to say anything. We had to be quiet. Which is really hard. <laughs> yeah, especially with our crew, with six of us. And then we go around the room and everyone would chirp in their two cents worth. And at the end, most of the time, we came to some resolve. If Linda and I had to, we became the judge and advocate. But most of the time, it worked to solve the problem so that they didn't take it out to the neighborhood, they didn't take it to school, uh, and it was over once, once we got it resolved. Couple meaningful moments that we found um, with our kids, and um, boy, capture those guys, hang on to them, write them down in your journal. Um, they're gone before you know it. Um, for those of you that have kids in junior high and high school, you 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 know that um, already that that tension, that separation is happening. And um, again, speaking with Chad this past weekend, um, he said. We were telling him what we were doing, and he said, Mom, he works with thousands of uh, elementary seven-year-olds through college kids every summer. And uh, he said, if you don't teach anything else, teach the dads to love on their kids. He said, of all the things that I hear from college kids on down, it's that dad's not the one that ever gave me a hug. He never told me he loved me. He never made me feel important. So um, I know that um, Bill has been speaking on parenting, and I heard a couple of dads go, man, I feel like I got hammered on this morning. And I'm not here to hammer on you. Um, but love on those kids and love on them when they're 13, 14, 16, 19, the difficult years. Some of the best advice Steve and I got when we were young um, came from a, a principal that was actually uh, a friend of Andrea's dad. And uh, he said, whenever my kids are, were older and they'd come in, I made sure I gave them a great big hug. Because you know what? Not only did they know I was glad to see them, had they been smoking, I would have smelt it. <laughs> had they been drinking, I would have smelt it. Had they been smoking pot, I would have smelt it. He said it was a routine that when those kids hit the door, dad was there to give them a hug. They probably didn't know until years later that maybe he had an ulterior motive. There becomes um, times of joy and there becomes times of awkwardness in, in family. And frankly, when we, um, we became Christians when I was in my 20s, and four months later, Linda was, was pregnant, and she did that a lot. <laughs> You're so cute when you, she had five pregnancies. And even though I was a baby Christian, I was going to have a baby in the house. And we read everything possible because we did not want to make mistakes. The greatest disaster I think I could possibly have is knowing that my son or daughter was not following Jesus Christ. And that could happen to any of us. But some of those moments that were um, monumental, 
I don't even know how to approach this exactly, uh, but um, follow me if I can kind of get around it. Um, as young girls become teenagers, as they begin to move in womanhood, and they have that first happening where their body changes and things happen, you with me? That was awkward. <laughs> I don't remember doing this. Uh, Linda reminded me. But I went to one of these gas stations and I bought them a red rose and said, you're worth, you're beautiful, even though you're not feeling like it and things are awkward. And they told us later that that, that was meaningful, that was impactful. So we need to look for those opportunities, those monuments in our life where, where we can take advantage of it. And I guess for me, the awkward moments came, um, I'm not a sports person wasn't um, used to be able to beat up on the boys on the basketball court but when they could win I quit playing um, but uh, God gave me a different role um, while Chad is very athletic now when he was in his junior high and early high school years um, he was pretty awkward um, he was actually probably the eighth man off the bench and uh, Terry's dad was his coach and they were at the ACU finals, and we had traveled quite a bit with this team, and uh, he hadn't gotten in the whole game, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm going, seriously, coach, we're down, you know, by 20 points, and there's a minute and a half to go, because, you know, you guys that have kids that sit the bench, you can relate, right? I mean, they're not going to pull this out, and uh, Steve called for the bench to come in, and I remember just bowing my head and saying, God, just give him a memorable moment. And we have that memorable moment on video, and you would have th thought the whole team won the Nationals. Because at the very last second, Chad lofted this ball from way past the center line, and it went in. And everybody's celebrating, and the other team is looking at him like, are you guys crazy? You're losing by 20-some points, you know? But it was such a celebration. So my challenge is to you is to pray for your kids about all the dumb things that life happens to them in. Because, you know, we could have walked out of there and we would have just been a defeated team. But even as we went out to eat and everything afterwards, you would have thought we won because something just happened that was remarkable. So um, take advantage of those moments. As Linda said, life happens. We were visiting the grandkids in Indiana, Josias, the, the youngest grandchild right now, trying to have some playtime with him and, and uh, you know, share. He, he calls me Papa, and of course I love that. And the boys got the stinkiest diapers you'd ever want to imagine. And I got it twice that day. And I go, Linda, where's Linda? I got the duty. Well, life happens. Life happens. It's not fun, but you got to step up. How are you going to have fun with a kid? How are you going to teach them something if they're uncomfortable and not very, very happy? We've got to go the extra mile with them. I remember pacing the floor at midnight or at 11 o'clock, whenever the curfew was, praying for my kids when they were maybe five minutes late. Life happens. It's awkward. It's terrible. But God's in that. He, 
he oftentimes forces us to prayer. Like those two o'clock feedings, you remember those? I do. And I loved them. That sounds crazy. That was the only quiet time there was in my house when we had all the little ones there. And so two o'clock was my time with God. And there was times I actually got up before the kid, waiting for them to get up, because I so much enjoyed just having that time of quiet and reflection. The grandbabies, now that we're fortunate enough to have um, Eliza um, kind of has the green thumb that I do because uh, she knows that I grow things. And she brought a pumpkin seed home from, from school, and the thing was kind of scraggly and all over the place. And she calls me long distance and says, Papa, what do I do with my pumpkin? And I had a chance to share with her how, how God grew it and how he may take it away. And when we went down there the next week, we, we went out and we bought a, a, a pot and soil and transplanted it and, and prayed. I don't know if it made an impact on her or not. We don't know that. But we need to take advantage of those times. Every time we can speak of our God to our children, our grandchildren, to the blast workers, the blast kids, the kids that we see in school, we need to take advantage of it. And finally, like Steve said, we read several books uh, on parenting. One was uh, Dr. James Dobson on a strong-willed child. And once you read that book, he gives you that kid. Um, but uh, the thing that hit me the hardest, I think, um, several years ago, I don't know if any of you are James Dobson fans, but he had a major heart attack and uh, thought he was going to die. And the family was all called in. And he said two words to him, be there. And I think that's our goal as parents, that when our kids pass from this life to eternity, that they're there with Jesus. And so um, we just want to encourage you this morning that God has an awesome plan for your kids' lives. You may not see it right now. Um, we left out the stories of Steve verbally and physically holding Chad down um, as a teenager just to get his attention. We didn't talk about the broken wooden spoon that we used occasionally for major correction times in our family. But as we can now stand and look back, we look back and see how God used the great moments, the good moments, and some of those moments where you just were in tears to mold your kids into who God wanted them to be. So be encouraged. One last thought after your last thought. <laughs> um, their monuments might be things that you put on a refrigerator. It might be a trophy. It might be something that they bring from, from blast. Speaking of that, how'd, that, how'd the manna go when you're teaching a lesson on manna? If any of your kids shared, they threw it out spit it up, whatever was necessary in the trash can. <laughs> but as your kids leave Blast, for example, and they hand you a cotton ball because it's Easter or, or something, ask them what it means and, and get it out of them. We can't, we can't rely on the Blast team or Corey and Carrie 
We can't send our kids to bike camp or church camp. We can't send them to Greenville College to get their spirituality. We need to develop it and let these other things um, help along the way. So with that, praise be God. Thank you for letting us share.